Are you ready for the end of the world? You are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of friends, the circle of family, the circle of being. Wake up. Wait a second. Wake up! And be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. You are listening to Ord Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. And we are your community spirit. Live, sometimes. Local, always. And sometimes in your face. <laughs> A little bit. When we can help it. Should we get in your face with this show? Yeah, I think so. Now let's start getting in, in people's face with some fracking news. <clears throat> Not that anything's ever new with fracking or that people should even talk about fracking. I mean, who, who would talk about such things? I have happy kids laughing in the background. <laughs> yeah. I think I should probably take that off. Yeah. Um, we I could bring that back when we're talking about the Enviro Heroes for the year. <laughs> All right. But, yeah. The, the children are sad now because we're going to talk about fracking. <clears throat> fracking company finds new way to screw over the environment. Props are in order for Chesapeake Energy Corporation one of the country's biggest natural gas producers. We're finding yet another way to make a big mess with fracking. This time, it was irresponsible construction practices. Company subsidy, Chesapeake Appalachia, will pay a near-record $3.2 million in federal penalties for clean water violations at fracking facilities in West Virginia. Now, I'm going to break into it. Yeah. In, this, in our state, mm. we are putting together fracking regulations. Yeah. Do these fracking regulations make it so that they don't have to follow federal guidelines? Uh, well, there are. I don't think that's possible. Yeah, well, there are currently, I mean, they're, uh, they're facing federal penalties that aren't specifically related to fracking is part of the issue here. Right. It's, it's the construction that happened during fracking. Because the, the comments, I mean, the bill for our state, the maximum penalty they can get is $2,500. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it depends on if they have a similar accident that is like construction rather than the fracking itself, they may have to pay a large fine like this. But if they do similar pollution during the fracking, it might be $2,500 because it's up to the local, local regulation. Well, I didn't, I, I thought you could, you could supersede federal, but you couldn't weaken federal law. <laughs> yeah. Well, federal law has weakened itself in this case. Uh, the Halliburton loophole has made it so that, uh, Fracking is, for some magical reason, not considered part of the Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, any of those sorts of things. Like everything else, if you and I do anything and pollute the water, we get in trouble. But fracking has some sort of magical immunity. That, uh, and it's because they paid the right people, really. I mean, I, I've, from what I've read of the legislation, I can make no logical sense for why fracking is exempted from these things. They just basically said, oh, fracking is important, so let's not put any restrictions on it so this this uh story you're talking about here is not specifically fracking it's a company that got busted for construction pollution yeah they probably I, i've got to wonder you know if there was maybe a climate of oh we don't have to worry too much about the details and then they they screwed up on the construction end of things and said oh we are actually liable for that aren't we <laughs> and yes they are uh it's it's a near record fine they had to pay 3.2 million in federal penalties and it's also going to spend 6.5 million more to restore 27 sites that it damaged with construction activities and pollution. Oh, 27 sites. It's not like one day somebody woke up on the wrong side of bed and is like, oops, I spilled some concrete, you know. 
It's 27 different sites that they're going to have to remediate because of their actions. Most of the discharges subject to the con- uh, consent decree are related to the construction of fracking facilities, but none of them involved actual fracking, said Donna Heron, spokeswoman for EPA's Mid-Atlantic region. In doing the construction, that's where they were discharging fill material into the wetlands and the streams. So once they do the fracking, it's okay to do that. <laughs> yeah. But during construction, it's not. Yeah. So dumping a little concrete into the river, you get a fine for it, but dumping benzene and hydrochloric acid and who knows what else. Yeah, because yeah, totally we don't cool. know what else because it, it's a trade secret. Yeah. Shh, it's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So, yeah, the, it is because of violations of the Clean Water Act, and it was done without the required Army Corps of Engineers permits. So if they, even if they'd gotten the right permits, they might have been able to do it anyway. <laughs> but they didn't bother getting the right permits. So Now, the state of West Virginia was actually a co-plaintiff for this settlement, yeah. which, which that means they'll receive half of the penalty. Yeah. Which means other states might look into it because, I mean, most of these states that are going forward with fracking are doing it because they want money. Yeah. Well... Let them go forward and then bust them and you make more money. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah, Illinois well, no, should look into that. The state of Illinois could yeah. probably use a little more money. So just, Yeah, let them go for it and then bust them for all their violations. Yeah. And so that sounds actually, that's probably the plan. Yeah. We didn't know that, but that's probably the plan of the Illinois plan to get out of bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, like, let the frackers come in and then bust them for all the violations and um, yeah. make a bunch of money. Okay. That I mean, they sounds probably, like a really backwards, let's say. Sounds like a backwards plan. but Pollute our environment <laughs> and then give us money for it. Yeah. I mean, they come up with loopholes in favor of the corporations, so maybe they could come up with ones against the corporations and say, you know, if you can only pay 2500 maximum for a fine, you could say, well, every five minutes that you have one of these open-air uh, fracking pits, that's... That's a violation. <laughs> so every five minutes you have that violation, pay us $2,500. If it takes you a week to clean it up, well, the state of Illinois gets a lot of money. <laughs> but unfortunately, they tend to treat the environment with that level of stickiness, not the corporations. Well, here's a news story we haven't talked about in a while, but it's it's about time for the, the next phase in this Let, story. Let's, let's, let's shine some light on this story. Yeah, shine some light on this story. Um, we have in the past talked a lot about Light, because, well, that's my name, and I kind of like light. Um, Three-fifths of America don't know that incandescents are about to disappear. Now, I hope most people who have been listening to our show know this, Hmm. because we've been asking people to quit using them for a long time. Yeah. In less than a week, January 1st, the most popular incandescent light bulbs, that's the 40 and the 60 watts, It'll be interesting in the future, you know, right now you buy a compact fluorescent and it said, it says on it, equivalent of a 60 watt bulb. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, in five years, people will be like, why does it say that on there? Like what? Yeah. You people will happen. Yeah. It'll be like the symbol of like an old landline that, that little kids don't understand now because they've never used a landline. They use cell phones. Right. They'll be like, what is that? <laughs> like, why does it say 60 watts when it's, you know, <laughs> it's like. So they will no longer be made or imported into the U.S. That means if you've got any old bulb, I like to call them antique bulbs, yeah. <laughs> stashed away somewhere, those are all you're getting unless you run out right now and buy more. There's actually, um, when they announced this, I don't know, six months ago, 
There was a slight run on the stores. Yeah. <laughs> um, Three-fifths of America, according to Ashram Sylvania's socket survey, have no idea. The survey, which measures attitudes towards energy efficiency and lighting in particular, found that only one in ten Americans knew that the lights would disappear on New Year's Day. A larger portion, about two-thirds, were aware that the bulbs were being phased out. They just didn't know when. And what about the two-fifths of America who are on the know be doing? An estimated 30% of these informed consumers will be raiding the aisles of your local big box and hardware stores, sweaty and wild-eyed, grabbing all the 40 and 60-watt bulbs they can carry. A majority, 46%, who don't plan on stockpiling incandescence as a result of the final phase, that plan, quote-unquote, to switch, not surprisingly, to CFLs. Mm-hmm. Um, a further 37% who aren't stockpiling say they'll be switching to LEDs. And I guess the rest are just going to sit in the dark. That's <laughs> yeah. like 30%. They're like, oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, they'll just be in the dark. They'll just so, meditate, you know. So if you are one of the unprepared 60%, congratulations. Now you won't be caught by surprise, and you can spend the rest of the year imagining how hard Glenn Beck is going to freak out when he tries to replace the bulb in 2014. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, incandescent bulbs, again, are antique bulbs. Uh, the reason why they are being phased out, they haven't been outlawed. Basically, the law is a light bulb has to be 50% efficient. Mm. Incandescent bulbs are less than 20%. Yeah. I like, I like the fact on an earlier show, you called them heat lamps rather than lights. Right. You know, because they produce, more of the energy goes towards producing heat than producing light. Yep, 80% goes to heat. Yeah. And so if you, um, like those type of light bulbs, um, and don't mind paying the higher utility bills, um, you will have to stockpile in this week. Mm, yeah. Um, otherwise, switch over to LEDs, which use more than 90% less energy. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at 2, 3 watts. What is that? I can't do the calculation now. But um, the equivalent of a 60-watt light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Um, Go out and buy a true light bulb, a, a bulb that the majority of the energy going into it is used to, guess what? Make mm-hmm. light. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We have shined enough light on that subject. Yeah. Well, it's funny to think, though, that like, you know, in a few years, people who are, who are little kids now, like babies, like they won't know what the incandescent lights are because they won't, they'll see the convex fluorescence and LEDs. And if you show them the old ones, they'll be like, what is that? Like, is that some old school antique? Like, what does that even do? (laughs) All right, let's see. What other news do we have today? Uh, Where did it go? Stick it to them. There it is. Scientists (laughs) call for labeling tar sands oils. Yeah, labeling tar sands oils. That's an interesting plan. So for the past four years, European Union officials have been mulling a labeling system that would require fuel companies to tell their customers how much carbon pollution is produced by each of the products they sell. Okay, then they should include how much carbon pollution it takes to make it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if they're going to do that, they need to go a step further and say, to get this to you, this is how much pollution it takes, and then it'll, you know, take this much more pollution to burn it and use it. 
Yeah, they could have like I feel like it could be like the nutrition labels they have on food. Uh-huh. It could be the ecological label. I've even seen this on a T-shirt once. It was a Bioneers T-shirt, and it had uh, like it said it was you know 100% organic. It said you know the dyes were zero percent yeah, pollution, yeah, of pesticides. Yeah, and it explained like three or four different things about the ecological nature of it. And if you had that on products, then that would let you know where it was coming from, what harm was done. I mean. Uh, when you're dealing with fossil fuels, too, you could have, like, how many wars were fought to get you these fossil fuels. <laughs> That's way too complicated. Yeah, that gets a little complicated, but you got to start somewhere, and this is a place to start. Well, there was, used to be a website called Responsible Shopper mm-hmm. that you could actually put in a product yeah. or a company, and it would say what that company does in all different levels, not environmental, um, what do you call it, you know, um, what is it called when you beat down on the poor people? Huh. Yeah. Um, Environmental, social justice. Social like, justice. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, so it, it had like multiple categories. So you mm-hmm. could look, for example, I looked at the oil company and of course most of them had really poor, um, environmental records, but mm-hmm. s- some of them had like Shell had really horrible, uh, s- social justice where they had just been decimating whole, um, areas where people live yeah like giving helicopters to the nigerian government to go kill protesters right that sort of thing that sort of thing i i tend to remember those sorts of things sometimes Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah well that's i've also i remember too ad busters i don't know if they use the same database but they had a scanner where you could be in the the store and you scan the barcode and it would tell you those sorts of facts really yeah i don't know if that still exists but i know they created it um, smartphones and they have barcode scanner apps. Yeah. So you think they would come up with something like that? Yeah. It'd be it'd be kind of hard to keep updated because you know this company buys that company and then you know how do you uh, drill down all the way to the <laughs> truth, not yeah. the oil. So, um, so this idea of labeling, it's kind of deeply unpopular with oil companies. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> They don't want consume their customers thinking about such things every time they fill up their tank. Yeah. So, now it is a popular idea with an independent group of experts, experts who are better qualified to determine to determine whether something is scientific. These would be scientists. <laughs> so, uh Reuters reports that 53 scientists from such universities as Harvard Stanford and Columbia, as well as European Institute, sent a letter urging the president of the European Commission to, quote, press ahead with a plan to label tar sands as more polluting than other forms of oil in defiance of intense lobbying, end quote. So. Yeah. So they, they really, I mean, they're pushing forward on both sides, but that's... That's one of the things I wonder how long they can sustain this denialism about climate change and other environmental impacts. When so many scientists are coming to these governments and saying, look, we have a problem. Here's all the scientific evidence. How long can, can there be an action on that, you know? Well, I guess we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, so they sent, they sent this letter and they say the draft law which would label fossil fuels according to how much carbon they emit over the entire wells-to-wheel life cycle, is scientifically sound. 
That's cool. Wells to wheels. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, uh, yeah, wells to wheels. I'll have to remember that one. <laughs> Analyzing the wells to wheels impact. And they say the policy would ensure investment in cleaner fuels and for the first time hold the industry accountable for carbon emitted during production of the fuels they sell in Europe. Here's a good quote. We quote, we live in an era during which it has become clear that we cannot burn all of the fossil fuels without causing dangerous climate change, said the letter uh, that they sent. Do we really want to read the climate <clears throat> grinches of 2013? I was wondering about that. I included both climate grinches and climate champions. Yeah. Uh, I thought we could spend a little more time on the champions, but at least mention some of the grinches. Okay. Um, <clears throat> if you want the list of the grinches, this is like the the good time of the year where we yeah. talk about good things. This is Santa's naughty and nice list. Uh, there you go. Or possibly like, Krampus's list for yeah, who he's going like, to go visit. Let's see. <laughs> um, there, is, there is a lot of them on here. Yeah. Now, the the one that jumps out at me, there's a reason why it jumps out at me. Uh, Rex Tillerman, number seven. This year, Rex Tillerson, excuse me, Tillerson. <laughs> yeah. Chair and CEO of ExxonMobil asked, quote, what good is it to save the planet if humanity suffers, end mm-hmm. quote, to a meeting of shareholders in Dallas regarding the topic of climate change and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Now, r- the reason this um, is forefront in my mind is I have a friend. Um, he's part of the Climate Reality Project, and he has been sitting in front of Rex Tillerson's office. Today, I think, is the 41st day. Wow. First of all, he wrote, like, a bunch of letters. Like, yeah. literally a letter a day, and he got them either published in, you know, newspapers, but he sent it to, you know, the chairman of ExxonMobil. And, um, of course, the chairman never responded. Now it's published as a book, all his letters. And... um He's been sitting in front of the office for 41 days saying, sit down and have a coffee with me. I would like to give you these letters I've written to you. Yeah. Hmm. Um, now, he's also st- just started a campaign to do the same to uh, President Obama. Hmm. And those have been published in a book also. Um, so it's very interesting for me to see this list because I have a personal connection to it. Yeah. Of course. Well, that's good. You know, he, uh, even if he's not listed as one of the climate champions, he's a climate champion then for being so persistent in trying to have his voice heard on this. Yep. So, um, yeah. If you would like to see the list of the Cooch brothers, <laughs> the Coochie brothers and all the other, um, people who are really, really pushing. Now, one of the ones that really gets me is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. Because they're saying if we, basically they're saying it will stifle our economy. Now, our local chamber is no longer a member, or I don't think was ever a member of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. Um, so they're on a different page than the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Right. They're talking about the social cost of carbon in legislation. Um, now, I happen to know that if we don't have air or fresh water... <laughs> We can't live. It doesn't yeah. matter how much money we have. <laughs> yeah. There's an economic cost to not being able to breathe and having like heat waves that kill lots of people. That has an economic cost too. 
but the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has been actively lobbying against the Obama administration's use um, of, you know, the social cost of carbon in legislation. Yeah. So, all right. Let's go to the climate champions of yeah. 2013. We are the champions, my friend. In a year that saw carbon pollution hit the milestone of 400 parts per million. Now, they've said we shouldn't be above 350 parts per million to have a stable atmosphere, a stable, you know. Yeah, a stable climate. And we've already. Yeah, I mean, basically a stable, um, life. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, we, 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 we. We've been become disconnected from the fact that nature is part of us. Yeah. We seem to think that we can do all this and have no consequence to ourselves, that it's something out there. But there is no out there. It's it's in here as well. And a lot of these these people on this list realize that fact. And we've talked about many of these, but now that it's the end of the year, the year in review, it's good to visit them again and celebrate some of our climate heroes. So, first one on the list is Narev Yeb Sanya. Three days after Typhoon Haiyan made landfall, Philippines climate negotiator Narev Yeb Sanyo told the delegation at the 19th United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, also known as COP19, that his island nation had run out of time for failed climate negotiations. He vowed to go on a hunger strike until clear progress was made. And he challenged the climate deniers and countries less impacted by the effects of global warming by saying, I dare them, I dare them to get off their ivory towers and away from the comfort of their armchairs. I dare them to go to the islands of the Pacific, the Caribbean, the Indian Ocean, and see the impacts of rising sea levels, to the mountainous regions of the Himalayas and Andes to see communities confronting glacial floods, to the Arctic where communities grapple with the fast-dwindling sea caps to the large deltas of Mekong, the Ganges, the Amazon, the Nile, where the lives and livelihoods are drowned, to the hills of Central America that confront similar monstrous, monstrous hurricanes, to the vast savannas of Africa, where climate change has likewise become a matter of life and death as food and water become scarce. And if that is not enough, you may want to pay a visit to the Philippines right now. He's got quite a way of encapsulating all of it, you know. It's kind of beautiful, but none of that is my backyard. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, it's interesting, you know, if he could also include in there, like, you know, to the, to the shores of New York City as the Hurricane Sandy washes ashore and to the, the, the shores of Miami as the waters start to flood the city. To the vast cornfields of southern, or, you know, the Midwest <laughs> that got wiped out one summer. Yeah. Recently. Yeah. The summer before last, you know, it, it was, I remember that. I mean, people, people tend to see it as isolated incidents, but it's part of a pattern. People say, oh, we had a crazy drought this year. Well, it's probably not a coincidence. Number nine on the li- this list. This is a list of 11 c- climate champions. The LA Times. The LA, the Los Angeles Times announced in 2013 that it will no longer publish letters from climate change deniers. Quote, simply put, I do my best to keep errors of fact mm-hmm. off the letters page. When one does run, a correction is published, wrote the letter's editor, Paul Thornton, explaining his decision, saying there's no sign humans have caused climate change is not stating an opinion. It's assert- asserting a factual inaccuracy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the old saying, you've got a right to your own opinions, but not to your own facts. 
I mean, basically, the L.A. Times has chosen to listen to the 97% of scientists who say that climate change is happening. Yeah. And a large part of that is due to human actions. Yeah. And, you know, we can sometimes disagree on how to respond to that. So we could say, like, you know, different policies and argue about it. But it's happening, you know. You step outside and it's there. The data is clear. Now, the Times was followed by popular science decision to completely shut off its comment section and Reddit's science forum prohibiting posts and comments by people who deny the realities of man-made climate change. Yeah. So those are three big... Yeah. And I, I, I don't like the idea that they're stifling free speech, mm-hmm. but it's not uh, open dialogue. Yeah. Free speech is supposed to be about an open dialogue. It's supposed to be about, you know, communicating and talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And if you're just stating things that are not accurate as fact, that's not an open dialogue. Yeah, that's deceptive. But yeah, I've got to mention this one, number seven, Barbara Kingsolver. Uh, not many top novelists have tackled climate change as subject matter, despite the wide variety of opinion of apocalyptic and inspiring plot lines it offers. In her novel, Flight Behavior, which I read recently, Kingsolver does just this, using the story of a restless young mother in rural Tennessee to shed new light on the story of a planet out of balance. And it's great. Like, she, it's it's fictional, but it's this main character who discovers these butterflies on her family's property, and they find that all of the monarch butterflies have switched their, their landing ground, which used to be in Mexico. It's gotten warmer, so it's shifted to Tennessee. And so scientists come to study it, and there's this conflict about what oh, to yeah, do. I read this book. Yeah, it's this great. It's like a young lady finds a whole bunch of butterflies, and nobody believes her. Yeah, nobody believes her. Well, They're just like, <laughs> you know, they think she's, you know, going off on the loopy end. Yeah. And she's talking about how beautiful everything is, and then before you know it, you know, everybody's showing up in their backyard in yeah. the middle of nowhere <laughs> because, you know, but butterflies have never shown up there before. And yeah. you're talking... I mean, when the butterflies migrate, you're talking. Yeah, it's huge. It's yeah, millions of them. Yeah, like. it's just like a massive wave. Um, so yeah, it, I liked it because it's really compelling. She's a famous author, and it's a really good story, and it really is has prominent featuring of climate change. So that makes her a climate hero in my eyes too. All right. Um, if you would like to see the complete list of climate. Grinches and climate champions, please send us an email, info at yourcommunityspirit.org, and we will send you our newsletter. Yes. Um, today is the 27th of December. We are wrapping up the year. Is there anything anybody wants to um, talk about in the beginning of the year? Please... Um, Get on our uh, Facebook and talk to us, Your Community Spirit, or send us an email, info at yourcommunityspirit.org. Yep. Let's see. Some holidays coming up. Uh, well, the only one I care about is New Year's. Yeah, New Year's. Yeah, New Year's is the biggest one. Bacon Day is on Monday, but I'm not a big bacon eater. It's <laughs> just like, <laughs> um, Oh My Day is also the same day as Bacon Day. Yes. So. And no interruptions day, so let's not interrupt each other with these holidays. <laughs> but yeah, New Year's, New Year's Eve on Tuesday, and New Year's Day at Wednesday. And start off the new year with National Motivation and Inspiration Day on Thursday. 
All right, before we forget, you can still comment on the public comment area of the fracking regulations for the state of Illinois. The Illinois Department of Natural Resources is accepting public comments now through January 3rd, and this is the first, uh, supposedly the first time you could ever do comments online. Yeah. Um, if you would like to uh, get the link, send us an email, or you can go to protectillinoisfromfracking.org. Yeah, protectilfromfracking.org. Oh, yeah, IL from <laughs> fracking. Yeah. Should just say protect protect I from fracking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> protect IL from fracking dot org. And um again, you only have a few more days through January third to comment on the most stringent regulations anywhere, which only fines you twenty five hundred dollars if you break any of the rules. Yeah. I can even afford that. Yeah. Just like, so if I ever pollute my whole backyard, I should just say I'm doing it for fracking. Yeah, it was all in the name of fracking. <laughs> all right, now a happier, happier little window that we're in here is the For Kids Sake Art Submissions. That's still going on, and it's going now through January 6th. They're looking for student art to display and sell for the For Kids Sake Art Auction. And that's happening in April 2014, but the art needs to be in by January 6th. And uh, for more information on that, you can call 618-529-5044 or email info at forkidssake.net. Now, and that's a great program. They use art from, from young people in order to help young people overseas. That's a good idea. Yeah. Now, the Carbondale Community Farmer's Market is closed till January 11th for the holidays. Uh, um, I do want to remind you that the January 1st every year, the Shawnee chapter of the Sierra Club does something called a stone soup picnic. This is a decades-old winter tradition, and it doesn't matter how cold it is. They have one of the stone, um, what do you call it, fireplaces, and they do a couple pots of uh, soup. And basically the idea is you bring something um, to toss into the soup, you know, pre-cooked stuff that you toss into the soup, and then also there's a side dish. You bring a side dish. Mm. Um, that is 11 to 3 o'clock in the Giant City State Park Shelter Number 2 on the 1st of January. Yes. And it is a vegetarian soup for all the vegetarians out there. And one last one. The Community Racial Justice Coalition is coming up on Thursday, January 2nd at 7 p.m. at Church of the Good Shepherd, 515 South Orchard in Carbondale. All right. Guess what? <laughs> See you again on the radio next year. Yes, next year. We'll talk to you again next year. Have a safe and happy New Year's.